You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Gators Breakdown, the Gators Fan Podcast, because there's never a dull moment in Gator Nation. The Gators Breakdown Podcast is ready to go. I am your host, David Waters, and you can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SEC. Joining me this episode is co-host Will Miles. You can find him at his site, readandreaction.com, and on Twitter at WillMilesSEC. Well, we missed you last week. Uh, jobs, real, real, real job got in the way uh, out on the West Coast and uh, living it up in L.A., I saw. <laughs> <laughs> well, we had one night where we got to go out to the Staples Center and watch the Lakers, but unfortunately, LeBron was not there playing. He was just stalking around, getting ready for Anthony Davis to come out there. So um, so it was a, uh interesting, interesting game to see Lance Stevenson and Raisin Rondo out there playing for the Lakers. But uh, yeah, we were pretty busy out there and had one night to blow off some steam. It was a good time and certainly missed being on the podcast and uh, happy to be back. Well, the Gators uh, had some had some coaches leaving, has got some coaches coming uh, while you were going. A lot, a lot to keep up with. We'll get into that, but uh, uh, just when you think you can have a staff that might stick around for for some continuity, uh, no surprise in the SEC. These coaches jumping ship. Yeah, I mean, I guess the surprise has been that you know guys like Charlton Warren went to a school like Georgia. Um, you know, obviously he's getting paid to go to Georgia, I'm sure, quite handsomely. But usually you don't see guys jump interconference quite as much. Um, They're paying so that's that been, man $600,000. What? Hey, you know, we'll, we'll see if he's worth it. If Kyrie Elam <laughs> goes there, maybe he is. But, uh, you know, I, I've, I, I think that uh, when you start paying um, – you know, when you start paying DB coaches 600000 the things are a little bit out of whack in terms of priorities. So, yeah. you know, hey, we'll see. I mean, you know, two years ago, if they'd have had a, a defensive uh, a defensive backs coach who could coach the appropriate defense for, what, second and 23, I think they would have won a title. So maybe they're just going to – maybe they're hoping that he'll bring the right uh, the right juice there to Georgia. But, no, I mean, you know, you're always going to have coaches moving around. In fact, you want coaches to be getting promoted. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if a coach goes from a defensive backs coach to a defensive coordinator or – or, or something like that. That's a, that's a good thing for your program. It's a healthy thing for your program. And I do think that having turnover at those sort of position coaches is a good thing as well. Get guys different voices and and sort of different different ideas. And as long as Mullen can keep the continuity at the top with him and Grantham and can make sure that the players are being taught from the top down and that the assistant coaches are teaching the things that Grantham needs for his defense, I think it'll be fine regardless of who you put in there, so long as they're holding their guys accountable. 
All right. So coming up this episode, we'll talk to hire of David Turner for the defensive line. We'll get Will thoughts. Uh, we'll start on Torian Gray as well, since Will wasn't able to join us last week. Uh, but before we do that, remember, you can find Gators Breakdown on news4jacks.com slash Gators Breakdown. You'll find all the Gators Breakdown episodes there, as well as articles from the News 4 Jack sports team. Also catch Gators Breakdown, iTunes, Google Play, YouTube, Spotify. A lot of you catch it out there. Uh, but if your friends listen, uh, you can get them uh, to listen on all those platforms. And heck, when using those services, please share rate and review the show and on social media follow gators breakdown on twitter and facebook at gators breakdown so here we go david turner has been hired as the defensive line coach to take over for the departed south sun siri and on sunday mullen announced the addition of uh turner as a gators defensive line coach and turner who has 33 years of coaching experience worked for mullen for four seasons in mullen's first season at mississippi state in 2009 and then uh as well as uh, three more additional years there. So um, Dan Mullen did have to say, David is a great addition to our coaching staff and the Gators football family. We spent some time together at Mississippi State. He has produced numerous first-round picks in the NFL over his 30-plus years of coaching. Having spent 16 years in the SEC, he understands that this is a line-of-scrimmage league, and our defensive line will continue to play fast, physical, and aggressive under his leadership. So, Will, before I get into his background of where he's been and who he's coached, um, one thing that I won't, you know, I won't forget the, the, and excuse me, you may not have it readily available, but you have mentioned time and time again how important it is. And we know it on the surface to be a strong team on the defensive line. And they bring in a guy who has plenty of experience. Uh, we know Todd Grantham is, has an aggressive front. Uh, I'd be interested to see how Turner fits into that mold and the type of players he can bring in, in, into, the, into the trenches of the SEC. Yeah, I, I think the first thing for Turner, at least the feather in his cap for me, is that Mullen had experience with him for a year. He went off to Kentucky for a couple of years, and then Mullen decided to bring him back. A lot of times you see a guy who will leave after a year when a new coaching administration takes hold. And, you know, if if he were to hire somebody with only that experience, you'd have to wonder, okay, well, why did he leave after a year? But the fact that Mullen brought him back makes me feel pretty confident that, that you know, Mullen saw something in him, brought him back to Mississippi State. Then he was there for three years from 13 to 15 under under Jeff Collins and, and Manny Diaz as well. So certainly the type of attacking defense that Grantham's going to play, um, Turner has some experience with that coaching the def- coaching the defensive line and and has a hand in bringing in some of those guys who were on Mississippi State's defensive line this year who you know we we looked at and said wow that's a really good defensive line i think that proved out this year and as far as recruiting those guys i mean the guys like Jeffrey Simmons the guys like uh like Montez Sweat you know those guys came in under Turner or at least came in with him as as involved in the recruiting process so um i think it's a positive hire i, I don't think that you you can really it's hard to look at a position coach and say, Hey, this guy's a difference maker. Um, but I think we can certainly say that Mullen has comfort with him. I think we can say that he's recruited top tier guys to lower level programs. Um, and, and now he's got the sort of gleam of the Florida program, and it'll be interesting to see what he can do um, bringing in guys in the defensive line. And, and quite honestly, we're going to get to find out pretty quick because, you know, we've got Pickering up at, up at Mississippi State that he's got a relationship with and, and, and some other guys that we'll talk about that potentially um, Florida could bring in on the defensive line, and that's an area of need heading into, heading into signing day. Yep, and we'll get some more thoughts about him. But first, some little uh, points 
uh, from the bio from the University of Florida that they sent out. Uh, so after spending last season, the 2018 season at uh, University of Texas San Antonio, Turner spent the previous 16 years in the SEC at Texas A&M, Mississippi State, Kentucky, Alabama, and Vanderbilt. Uh, during his coaching career, Turner has mentored several NFL players, including 2017 overall number one NFL draft selection, Miles Garrett, uh, then, then Fletcher Cox, Josh Boyd, Javon Hay, Kyle Love, Pernell McPhee, Preston Smith. So, and uh, most recently, of course, just mentioned that 2018 at um, UTSA uh, helped coordinate a, a defense that totaled 78 tackles for loss for 250 yards. That was good for 48th in the nation, uh, 23 sacks for 140 yards. That was good for 84th in the nation. Uh, but before that, was that Texas A&M 2016, 2017? where he coached uh, defensive tackles and also a uh, defensive run game coordinator. He basically coached along the whole defensive line, uh, helped guide, guided Miles Garrett to become the number one pick. Uh, so uh, Garrett, um, under the direction of Turner, became the not player in school history to earn unanimous first-team All-American honors in 2016. It was also a finalist for the Veneric and Rotary Lombardi Awards, but the Aggies with eight-and-a-half quarterback sacks, 15 tackles for loss in 2016, also contributed to two forced fumbles and 10 quarterback hurries during his final season there at Texas A&M. Uh, so uh, during his stint at a and Turner, his old boss, John Chavis, a lot of people know that name there, raved about Turner's abilities and, quote, he's a great technician, takes pride in his work, as all of our coaches do. I think that's the thing that sets him apart. You look at his career, wherever he's been, his players that have played uh, as well. So um, he's also considered as a, a keen recruiter, and that was the prerequisite to be on Frank Wilson's staff from uh, a lot of the articles I went back and looked at at the, the hire when it was made um, for uh, coming from Texas A&M to UTSA. Go back to Mississippi State 2013 uh, through 2015. Uh, fronts at Mississippi State earned a reputation for being consistently disruptive and putting pressure on the opposing quarterback. Over his final two seasons in Starkville, uh, the Bulldogs piled up over 180 tackles for loss, including 68 quarterback sacks. Uh, in 2015, the Bulldogs set a school record with 98 tackles for loss, while 2014 unit produced 37 sacks, which ranked number two in the SEC and were third most in school history. So, Will, before I go even further, that was bef- that was right around the time Jeff Collins had been hired by Jim McElwain. Uh, you know, his two, that 2014 season would been, would have been Jeff Collins last season at Mississippi State. Uh, Turner was there. And I'll go back to that stat there. In 2014, produced 37 sacks, which ranked number two in the SEC, and we're the third most in school history at Mississippi State. Some more numbers there um, that helped Mississippi State to its first 10-win season uh, there. Produced second most sacks. It was 37 in the SEC, as I said. The nation's number one red zone defense. Opponents scored 63.64% of their chances in the red zone. So uh, a lot of familiarity there with the way Jeff Collins ran things. Mullen brought along Todd Grantham, kind of similar, attacking style defense. Uh, Mullen knows Turner. Mullen knew Collins. Mullen knows Grantham. It just kind of seems to be a, a pretty good scheme fit when you look at everything and piece it together from the days at Mississippi State. Yeah, well, that's been something Mullen's done since day one. I mean, he brought over Gonzalez, and he brought over Hevesy on the offensive side. He brought over Grantham at the def- on the defensive side. And so this is sort of adding to that, bringing in a guy to coach uh, to coach the defensive line. 
And when you look at where Florida has struggled, or, I mean, you know, so you look at Polite and you look at Zuniga, they played very, very well. But some of the guys like Antonius Clayton, um, Elijah Conliffe, Tadaryl Slayton, those are guys that we haven't necessarily heard their names quite as much as we might have expected based on their recruiting pedigree. And so you wonder whether the tactician part of that that you were talking about there in some of those quotes really is is something that Mullen's looking for, that he's looking for um, somebody who's going to hold his players accountable, make sure they're consistent, and and really develop the guys in the defensive line because they're going to need to um, just because of the depth there and the, and the numbers. So, um, you know, it's, it's going to be interesting to see. I think if we see giant strides made at defensive tackle, then that's maybe something that we can attribute to, uh, to this hire. And I think if we see regression <laughs> at, at defensive tackle, then maybe that's something that we can attribute to the hire as well. I mean, the reality is, is that a lot of times the defensive coordinator dictates what you do mm-hmm. as a defensive line coach whether it's a one-gap scheme or a two-gap scheme up front, determines how you coach it, whether it's something that you're reading and then reacting or whether you just shoot a gap. Um, all those things make a difference. So the good news is is that in Collins' defense and Diaz's defenses and Chavis's defenses and now Grantham's defenses, the defensive linemen are asked to do very similar things. And so not, all, not necessarily identical, but they're asked to do similar things. And so um, Turner has experience coaching in these types of defenses. And I think um, certainly the familiarity with Mullen has been a theme throughout throughout the last year at Florida and certainly worked out well in 2018. And so um, I, th- I think we need to, uh, you know, need, need to defer to him when it comes to making that choice. I mean, he knows who he's getting because he's had him before and I'm sure that, uh, that that factors into it. And then, you know, the 16 years in the SEC that he has um, means he has relationship with high school coaches, means he's got all those relationships to be able to walk in. I mean, you know, if you were to, if you were to ask, okay, we've got an open slot, who are we going to hire? Who's the best, who's the best coach? I mean, he, he clicks a lot of the boxes, SEC experience, Mm -hmm. experience with defenses similar to Grantham, three fours, experience with a Attacking defensive linemen, um, defensive linemen who've made it to the NFL and who have excelled under him, recruiting guys who are who turned into elite guys on the defensive line. Um, really, the only thing that maybe I would like to see is for is for Mullen to bring in a guy who's got elite ties in Georgia, so that they can make some inroads maybe against the Bulldogs. But um, you know, at the end of the day, he he checks all the boxes, and and you know we'll, we'll see how things go as we move forward. Um, like I said, I think turnover on the, at the at the staff positions is a healthy thing. Different voice in there may actually make a difference. And and Turner certainly has a voice where Mullen knows what he's going to say. And I think that familiarity has proven to be a good thing for Mullen thus far. Yeah, I think uh, I, I'm ready to see what he could do, I guess, with the defensive tackles more than anything, because that was probably a group. Uh, as the season went on, they found some guys who could end up making plays, but we went into the season with Conliffe and Slayton expecting to be those guys, and they never really lived up to the billing. So maybe, you know, Todd Grantham, wherever he's been, he's been able to find the outside rush. He's been able to find the defensive end. So maybe with Turner along, that, that I think the, hopefully the middle of that defensive line uh, gets along stronger. Let's uh, finish a little bit of his bio. I won't go through all of it, but we'll continue with that 2014 season uh, there. So under tut- uh, Turner's tutelage, senior Preston Smith had a career year in 2014, racking up a team-best nine tackles and 15 tackles for loss. Uh, in his first season back at Mississippi State back in 2013, Turner helped lead one of the best defenses in the SEC, ranking them on the SEC's top five in total defense, uh, fourth with 349.3 yards per game. And rushing defense was fourth as well with 144.2 yards per game. So during the last three games of that season, Mississippi State allowed just 11.3 points per game, including two contests that featured overtime games. So before that, of course, Kentucky, 
uh, Mississippi State as well from 2007 to 2009, Mullen's first year uh, there. So, uh, well, we'll get my thoughts uh, kind of here with it. And you've hit on a lot, uh, some of it there. You know, there were some mixed reviews, uh, thoughts uh, on the hire from the fan base. And don't get me wrong, it, it wasn't an overwhelming name uh, out there to begin with. I do get that part of it. I do think there was some expectations when replacement lists started coming out and the hot names were Chris Wilson, Kevin Patrick, Charlie Partridge. Uh, those guys were, were never offered the job from my understanding. Uh, asking around Turner when, what was Mullen's main target. Uh, one reason I'll say trust Mullen on this hire is you know, this sounds like a, a hire, as you said, Mullen would have made last year as in getting the guys he's familiar with. Now, I'm not sure why he wasn't hired last year instead of Sunseri, uh, but but this speaks to the familiarity and the consistency that that really helped the staff make a really fast turnaround on the field uh, in, in getting 10 wins this past season. So re- recruiting was the worry there in bringing in so many guys from Mississippi State, not so much the coaching, but it, it looks like both a- aspects right now are working themselves out. The defensive line, as I just mentioned, would be a Turner and Grantham project. Turner has a solid resume. Uh, I think too much is, is being made from the, the one year at UT uh, San Antonio. All people, uh, oh, we had to go get a coach from UT San Antonio. Well, you know, they've actually had a string of defensive line coaches go to the NFL and now Florida. Um, Jimbo Fisher came in to Texas A&M, cleaned house to get his guys in, much like Dan Mullen did. <laughs> and when he came in here uh, uh, at Florida, so in Turner, uh, and just ended up finding himself at, at UT San Antonio. So it's pretty obvious Dan Mullen likes him, kept him around when he was hired at Mississippi State, brought him back for another stint, uh, but went and got paid by the Aggies, and, and now Mullen's bringing him back again. So this shows just how much Mullen likes him, uh, how he has impressed Mullen enough to, to bring him to Florida when things are starting to go so well at Florida uh, and bring in someone with a lot of SEC experience, someone that can come in, hit the ground running. Um, and one more quote. Uh, we, I went and reached out to Mississippi State alum, uh, quarterback alum, and radio personality Matt Wyatt. And he's been on with us before uh, to discuss Mullen in, in, in the past. And he said, quote, I think this is an excellent hire given their history together. Coach Turner is old school, tough, Kind of guy when he walks in, everybody sits up straight. Yeah, you know, I mean, I, I think you you opened up the podcast tonight talking about continuity, and pretty much everywhere Turner's been, he stayed three or four years. And so, if if Mullen's goal is to build continuity, he certainly got it with Hevesy, he certainly got it with Gonzalez, and at a school like Florida where the resources are really pretty unlimited when it comes to coaching salaries, you wouldn't expect him to have to jump to a place like Texas A&M to get more money. Um, you figure that he's going to get what he needs there at Florida and that the only way he leaves is if he gets a promotion to a better position someplace else. And so if the goal is to build continuity, if the goal is to build familiarity with the players and have sort of a consistent voice and a consistent face, um, you know, facing all those high schools where he's going to recruit and, and talking to the same guys year after year after year. I mean, you know, that's one of the things you see with a lot of different guys where um, if the offense is constantly changing, I mean, must champs teams are a great example of this. Um, you know, the, the quarterback never had the same offensive coordinator two years in a row, just because of the way those guys were getting cycled through. And so, um, that kind of thing holds true on the defensive side as well. I'm sure that the defensive lineman eventually having a consistent voice is a good thing. And, you know, I said earlier, sometimes a different voice is good, but um, 
you know, sometimes something continuous is good as well, that you can continue to get better, you can continue to build trust, and you don't have to start over every year. So um, I think there's something to be said for that. I think somebody who's been coaching for 16 years in the SEC and been coaching for as long as Turner has isn't necessarily going to be looking for that next job a year from now. Probably doesn't have eyes on being a head coach at the college level. Um, probably figures he's going to be a career assistant. And so, um, you know, I I don't necessarily think he's going to be looking for a grass is greener type situation. And maybe that's what Mullen's looking for too. So, um, you know, at the end of the day, it's a solid hire. It's not, it's not flashy, but it's a defensive line coach. It's not, <laughs> it's not a defensive coordinator. If it was a defensive coordinator, you'd say, okay, I want flashy. Um, when it's a defensive line coach, I think you want somebody solid who's going to um, hold everybody accountable up front. And we'll certainly see whether he can do that. Well, uh, our good friend, Thomas Goldcamp from Swamp 24 seven, uh, tweeted out uh, his article there and uh, it was a free article there on Swamp 24-7 and he points out that the additions of Turner and Gray to the staff, there is now <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> there is now 100 combined years of SEC experience on this staff right now. So his first staff uh, had assistant coaches last year who combined for 78 years as, uh, as full-fledged on-field coaches in the SEC, but right now with the two newest hires, now we know Gray only had the, the one year at Florida. Uh, so basically with, with Turner and his resume here, I mean, the Gators have one combined 100 years of SEC experience. Yes, no excuses, right? <laughs> and no excuses for players not to get better, for the players not to develop. And quite honestly, no excuses for the coaches to not be able to go out and recruit at a high level as well at a, at a school like Florida. And that's certainly something we're going to see this cycle and, and, and the cycles moving forward as well. Um, you know, it, it strikes me that Gray and I think particularly Gray probably really helps on a recruiting perspective, um, you know, to be able to point towards guys like Tabor and Quincy Wilson and their development under him um, to point towards just sort of the DBU moniker and bringing those guys in recruiting at that level. Again, it's only one year, but some of the guys who came in who are still at Florida know him and know of him and, and probably are um, thrilled to have him back in some capacity, especially considering the, uh, the, the way in which Warren left the program. So, um, you know, I, I think anytime, I mean, this was something we said last year when Mullen assembled a class was that it was an impressive number of SEC years that that, that, that whole, uh, that that whole staff had together. And I think this, I think, the, I think it still holds true now. Um, but at the end of the day, the experience only helps you if you use it and if you can use it to execute both on the field and on the recruiting trail. And that, and that's something we're going to see coming up in February and certainly something that we'll see in August. And and it's depressing that it's not until August that we get to see this sort of stuff. But, but I'm looking forward to it, man. Yeah, I mean, and the thing with the, the whole SEC experience, and you put it best, I mean, nothing is going to surprise these guys. I, I don't think they're surprised with how good George is doing. They're definitely not surprised at how good Alabama is. They're not good. At, they're not surprised at how well LSU can recruit and the talent that they can get. They're not going to be surprised at at Auburn and, and what they do. Maybe a little more surprised about Texas A&M and Jimbo Fisher. But these guys have been around the block long, long, long enough to know what who's who these coaches are. A lot of these coaches in the SEC have been around the SEC. You know, Jimbo Fisher. Yeah, he was at FSU for some years, but grew up in the Saban tree. Uh, recruited in the South at FSU. Uh, the, Kirby Smart and his staff has a lot of SEC experience. Pruitt and his staff has a lot of SEC experience. So Mullen and you know, and Mullen was kind of the outsider, you know, before coming in with Meyer 
uh, before. Those guys had no SEC experience coming in. Uh, you know, of course, Charlie Strong st- stuck around and, and I think really helped along in that transition. But Meyer, uh, a lot of the offensive guys that he brought had no SEC experience. So, you know, Mullen since then has you know, feet planted in the SEC. A lot of these assistants, Gonzalez and Hevesy, feet planted in the SEC. You know, it really started back then when, when when Meyer brought these guys in, and they haven't been out of it since. Yeah, though, you know, Meyer didn't need a whole lot of SEC experience to win. <laughs> yeah. He was in Florida. <laughs> no. So, you know, I, I, I don't necessarily think that SEC experience is a prerequisite for winning. I think that SEC experience puts you to a place where there shouldn't be any excuses or any surprises. And yeah. so – um, you know, at the end of the day, though, it's still going to be about getting the players out there, getting the getting the right players in the right position and putting them in a position to succeed. And Mullen showed last year that he's quite capable of doing that, even with guys he hasn't recruited. But at this point now, he's going to have guys that he has recruited coming in and he's going to have his staff to tan pick to do it. And he can't say that he didn't know something was going to, you know, he, he can't say that that the defensive line coach is responsible for, for missteps along the way. I mean, he knows this guy, right? He's had him on the staff. Um, you know, and, and so um, at the end of the day, I think he knows what he's getting into. I think he knows what he's looking for in that hire. And I think um, uh, again, I, I think that as long as it's top down where Mullen is dictating Grantham, what he wants in the defense and then Grantham is dictating to his coaches, what he wants coached, you know, I think everything will be fine. All right. Well, well, uh, I was peeking at the YouTube chat while we were doing this and uh, we're talking coaches and uh, they're already clearly talking our next topic. So (laughs) we know uh, (laughs) the world of recruiting never stops. It is uh, you and I have talked behind the scenes. It's uh, it it still blows our mind how, how popular it is with, uh, with with articles in your site at read and reaction and the the episodes that we do here. Uh, Recruiting never stops recruiting and that it just keeps spinning and uh, ever so popular. So, uh, you know, little update here uh, for recruiting a lot of, you know, four main guys here uh, left that the Gators are pretty much going after now uh, with about a week and a half left uh, before National Signing Day. So here we go. We'll start at the top with the biggest target, Kyer Elam, Colorado visit over the weekend. Dan Mullen and Torian Gray will be visiting him on Monday, this Monday, going to his basketball game. So, Hopefully, and I don't think we'll know even if it does, but hopefully to wrap this one up. Uh, and he posted some pictures on social media that uh, Kyrie Elam did of working out with Brandon Flowers, who um, you know Kyrie Elam's dad is familiar with, and uh, was also coached by Torian Gray at Virginia Tech. So, Will, it's uh, clearly a Florida-Georgia battle. There's, uh, I don't think the coaching changes, I've said it last week, were made. For Kyrie Elam, it would be just a nice added bonus. I don't think you ever hire somebody just for for one particular recruit, uh, but that is how important he is. I think there is, uh, um, you know, th- there is a connection in, in into when how fast hires were made, maybe when they were announced by Georgia uh, there of uh, uh, of how just important and uh, and uh, and I've and I've always said and I'll stick to this. It is Kyrie Elam. This being a Florida Georgia battle. It is a perception recruit. Oh yeah, absolutely, and and I think, you know, beyond just going one on one versus Kirby is if you look at where Georgia has really struggled the past couple of years, it's been in the defensive backfield. I mean, you know, I already I already sort of took a swipe at the second and twenty three, but you know, it's not as if Jalen Hurts ran down the field this past year against mm-hmm. against Georgia. He threw him down the field. 
and you know bringing in guys who are you know everybody got really excited about Chris Steele and rightly so he was the 41st ranked um, player nationally well Kyrie Elam's the 48th ranked player <laughs> nationally and and you know Florida has some built-in advantages in that you know Matt Elam played at Florida and that you know he's very familiar with the Gators familiar with the program probably even familiar with Mullen in some capacity and so with those built-in advantages you know Florida needs to bring him in I mean that 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 to me is num- job number one if they bring in Elam then that sort of cements the class in the top 10 it also brings in another top 50 guy, which is really important because those guys pan out um, a much higher percentage than a bunch of guys who are ranked 200 to 300. That's just the way it is. Um, and then you look at what the defensive backfield is going to look like with guys like Trey Dean and and Marco Wilson and CJ Henderson. And then you, you add to that Elam and Steele. And man, I mean, it, it's like they're going to start playing six defensive backs just to get the best guys <laughs> on the field. And, and Bernie's going to have to move the linebacker because that's the only way he's going to see the field. And, and that level of talent on the defensive backfield is only going to help the defensive line, right? So those things are definitely symbiotic. If you can cover guys for five seconds, the defensive line um, has a lot more time to get to the quarterback and vice versa. If the defensive line can get to the quarterback, the DBs don't have to cover as long. And so, um, you know, I think for what Grantham wants to do, particularly putting his corners out on an island, having guys like Steele and Elam are important. And uh, and certainly that looks like he's leaning towards Florida, but, you know, we'll see. Stranger things have happened. Yeah, absolutely. You mentioned uh, the defensive front and uh, how it, it's symbiotic there with the defensive backs. Chris Bogle, fresh off of his visit to Gainesville, where he and Dewan Black continued their time together as they were together last week in Hawaii for the Polynesian Bowl. Uh, the visit went great. Uh, Black is on him hard about becoming a Gator. Things look really good for Florida here, but uh, he is supposed to visit Miami this coming up weekend. He's currently committed to Alabama. You know they won't give up without a fight. We've seen that. We we've seen how these kind of recruits recruit. Re- when you recruit against Alabama late, and you start getting the inkling and the and the good feeling that okay, they might can flip or or maybe they're ours over Alabama. It always ends up. Or not always, but a lot of the time it ends up they stick with Bama or they end up going to Bama. So we'll see how this shakes out. But uh, some good feelings come out of Gainesville this weekend with Bogle. You know, so you know why there is some good feelings. This one is far from done. Yeah, I mean, again, an impact guy on the defensive line. Top, he's ranked seventy first nationally, a four star guy. But again, top one hundred guys. That's sort of a theme going through all the guys that Florida can target. In my in my most recent article, I sort of laid out all the guys who've taken official visits, and there are ten of them who've taken official visits and haven't signed yet. Some of them have committed. So Bogle, like you mentioned, is committed to Alabama at least verbally, but he can flip at any point, right? There's nothing binding there. Um, and, and so seven of those ten guys are top ninety, and then one of them is one hundred. 29th nationally so Mullen has a lot of top end talent that he's going after and and if he can pull in three or four of those guys it's going to make a really big difference so Bogle's one of those guys I mean one of the one of the concerns coming out of the early signing day is that they'd uh is that they had uh you know that they that they had They'd focused on at linebacker. They'd focused at defensive back, but that there wasn't a whole lot of depth at, at defensive line that they had brought in. And so certainly that's a place that they're going to have to focus on and, and have some guys here who are who are targets who conceivably they could bring in to help there. Yeah, one another uh, on along that defensive front that they could help. Charles Moore visited FSU over the weekend. Uh, excuse me if you've heard the the these lines before. Said so the visit went great. He liked the vibe and the culture of the staff and players. 
pretty much said the same stuff about FSU as he said about Florida a couple weeks ago when he was in Florida. Uh, Florida took the lead in his recruitment then. Then that was until Sal Sanceri left for Alabama. Uh, he now claims the Gators, LSU, FSU, Auburn are now on equal footing. Uh, he does like the hire of David Turner by Florida, as he knows him from his time in Mississippi uh, when, when Turner was there before he left uh, to go to Texas A&M. So there is a connection to a new hire uh, that Florida has made. Uh, Charles Moore, hard to get a read on, kind of says the same ever since he decommitted from Mississippi State, besides coming out and naming Florida his leader, uh, has pretty much kind of treaded water, tread said some things carefully, uh, maybe the same things over and over again when he gets off of his visit. Uh, but you know, he, he's playing this one kind of close to the chest. I uh, still think the Gators should feel good. Uh, I think they felt – because, look, he was com- previously committed to Mullen and Grantham at Mississippi State. Decommitted, visited Florida, named Florida his leader after that. I have a hard time believing Sal Sanceri meant that much in that recruiting uh, for Charles Moore. If he has some connection to Turner, like he says, and, and knows him, I still have to think Florida uh, should feel pretty good about this one as well. Yeah, you wonder whether he's looking at some of those other defensive line candidates and sort of maybe picking a spot based on that, right? Yeah. So, I mean, you've got Bogle, you've got Pickering who conceivably could flip. And, and you know, if both of those guys go to Florida, maybe he doesn't see the same playing time. But, um, it, you know, again, <laughs> 69th ranked overall nationally. Those defensive linemen are all sort of in that in that 69 to 73 range. And, and uh um, a big-time guy and, and a big-time get if Florida can bring him in. I mean, defensive line is an area of need, and that's a place they're going to have to focus. As far as – I mean, this isn't anything new. I mean, we ran into the same thing with with Nesta Silvera and Andrew Chatfield mm-hmm. last year, um, you know, where you really didn't know where they were, and there were, there was a whole lot of sort of back and forth heading into signing day, and a lot of, a lot of guys like doing that. And it, it adds to the entertainment on National Signing Day, that's for sure. And since early signing day has taken a lot of the drama out – um, yeah. you know, the, 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 this is really the only drama we have left for this sort of thing. So, uh, you know, Hey, he's going to go where he thinks he's got the best chance to play and, and where he's got the best chance to develop into the NFL. I think you and I happen to think that's probably Florida at this point, certainly not Miami and certainly not Florida state, but, uh, you know, that's a decision he's going to have to make. But since Florida state and Miami are involved in this recruitment, again, this is not, you know, we talked about, or you talked about it being a statement recruitment of Elam between Florida and Georgia, it's sort of the same thing here, right? That if you can bring in somebody like Moore over Florida state and over Miami, well now all of a sudden you're, uh, you know, you're, you're establishing something in the state that, that becomes pretty special. And, and this is a unique opportunity for Mullen in that, you know, you've got all the transition going on at Miami and you've got sort of the um, disarray going on up in Tallahassee. And if he can take advantage of that. Dance, 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 dance. (laughs) Hey man, they're, they're busy doing stuff for, Martin Luther King Day or something. So, oh. <laughs> so, um, so anyway, I mean, obviously a, a big time guy, big big time recruit that they need to bring in, and and because of who they're recruiting against, I think it makes a big a big deal. So, um, it's good that he's got a relationship with Turner. Again, you don't hire a guy because of his relationships. Um, for one recruit, but certainly if you've got a guy who has relationships with a recruit who can fill your need, it's it makes sense to bring him in. And so, and um, we'll see whether Turner can close the deal. And one more of the the top targets here. The Gators are going after Mark Anthony Richards coming off of a visit to Miami. Interesting note here, Will, is uh, the visit was made without his parents. So that's not a good sign for Miami. Yes, his parents have visited Miami before, but this is a new staff. They didn't make the trip. 
So maybe I'm making too big of a uh, of a deal about it, but I, do, uh, I don't, you know, I think that means something for Miami and, and not in a good way there. Uh, this is still a Florida, Miami, Auburn, and now Georgia battle as they really sold him last week on their running back heritage and, and him playing running back there. Florida sold him more on that Kadarius Tony role where he can go out wide, you can be in the backfield, you can be a, a, a type of playmaker. So maybe it may come down to uh, kind of just where he envisions himself. Does he want to play more of a pure running back? I don't think Florida's really, especially with who Florida can target in 2020, I don't necessarily think Florida's just going to say they can come in here. And, I mean, look, if, if that's what it takes to get him, uh, however you want to do it and, and recruit him and get him in the fold, okay? But I think it's come out enough that we know Florida has selling him more on a playmaker role instead of just the running back role Georgia's given or, or is would plan on giving to him if he came to Georgia. Yeah, well, it does sort of indicate the way Mullen recruits because, like you said, he could say, hey, you'll come in, you'll play running back, stuff like that. But the reality is he's going to be behind Pierce. He's going to be behind Clement. He's going to be behind Naquan Wright. He's going to be behind Malik Davis. And so um, to to break into that is probably going to be quite of a cha- quite a challenge. Whereas if he comes in at wide receiver, Kadarius Tony's coming into his junior year. Tyree Cleveland's coming into his senior year. Van Jefferson. Um, Freddie Swain, Josh Hammond, all those guys are really sort of towards the tail end of their careers at Florida. Um, and so there's going to be some opportunity there. And, and um, that's how you're going to have to sell somebody like, like Richards uh, because he's going to get playing time if he comes in as a wide receiver or as a flanker or in that Tony role, whereas he might not get that might not get that playing time at running back. Now, obviously, if it turns out that Richards is as special as some of the guys that Mullins had in the backfield before, he'll find a way to get him the ball in the mm-hmm. backfield. Um, but but he's going to have to prove it, obviously, if he wants to do that. As opposed, and I mean, he's going to have to do the same thing in Georgia. <laughs> it's not as if Georgia doesn't have a bunch of doesn't have yep. a bunch of studs back there in the backfield as well. Um, so if if like I don't necessarily know that he cracks the. Uh, cracks the backfield of Georgia as well, based on what they've got there and what they've got coming back. So um, it'll be interesting to see whether he believes the the sales job from Georgia or whether he believes the sales job from Florida. Certainly we've seen some guys leave Georgia recently who maybe didn't feel like the sales job matched reality once they got to Athens. And, you know, this may be another case like that, but uh, um, you know, I, I think from everything that, that you can tell from the film and looking at him, um, he can excel in that flanker sort of Kadarius Tony role. Um, I think, running in between the tackles. Eh, I mean, I, he could probably do that too, but I, I think out at wide receivers probably where his future is. And so it'll be interesting to see whether he's got the NFL in mind when he makes this choice. That is true. And uh, these are the main four left will, as we head into signing day uh, that the Gators to me have the best chance uh, of signing. So can you, can you pull in Elam away from Georgia? Can you make a late splash for Bogle and, and flip him from Alabama? Can you, can you fend off other schools and get the player you really need in Charles Moore? Can, can you sell Mark Anthony Richards on becoming a big playmaker in this offense over some of the, some of your biggest rivals out there? Can the Gators go four for four and bring it in, bringing in these guys? And if they do, will please right into your latest article on readreaction.com. These four players would be four of the top six players Florida would sign if they brought these guys in. It's, I mean, look, it, it's a class ranked eleventh right now. Not bad heading in to, to, to February signing day. But you bring these four in, and I'll say it again. These guys would be four of your top six players if you're able to bring them in. It would bolt the Gators up in the recruiting rankings. Yeah, I mean, it'd be a heck of a finish. I mean, to bring in four top 100 guys uh, on National Signing Day after 
Uh, I mean, really, it means he's hit on all of his targets after early signing day, which would be really, really impressive. Um, you look right now, it depends on how you break it down. So if you look at the second year, um, if you look at the second year recruiting for all the different coaches from Florida going back to Zook, you, you know, Zook had 14 blue chips, Meyer had 18, Muschamp had 16, McElwain had nine, and then Mullins at 15 right now. So if you add four guys who are top 100, now he's at 19 blue chips, which is more than Urban Meyer had coming into or in his second year. If you look at top 100 guys, that takes him up to six, uh, which, you know, Zook had 12, uh, Meyer had nine, Muschamp had six, McElwain had four, and then Mullen's got two right now with Tyron Hopper and then, uh, and then uh, uh, Steele. And so, you know, all of a sudden now you're looking at, if you add four guys to that, now you're looking at 15 total top 300 players, which compares very favorably to Zook. So Zook had 15, Meyer had 18, Muschamp had 11, and McElwain had seven. And so, you know, McElwain really struggled on the recruiting trail. That's something that we've talked about quite a bit. Mullen, for all of the uh, for all the criticism that I've leveled at him, is out is very clearly outperforming McElwain. Um, the question is, can he get into that Zuckmeyer Muschamp range? And it doesn't guarantee winning, obviously, because Muschamp didn't win and Zook didn't win, at least not at the level that Florida fans expect. But I do think it's a prerequisite for winning and people certainly give Zook an awful lot of credit for for stock in the cabinet for Meyer when he came Amen. And Meyer sort of taking those guys and, and turning them into a championship team. And so um, if we start looking at that, I mean, really, Meyer is the gold standard for recruiting when it comes to Florida, at least since the recruiting services have been in, have been in effect. And, and Mullen is getting close if he can pull in those four guys. I mean, those four guys take the 24-7 score to 287.5, which over the la- from 2014 to 2018 would have been an average national ranking of fifth. Now, that still puts them fourth in the sec <laughs> that is ridiculous. i mean that is that is insane and it really not, is and, and, and if i'm not mistaken fsu is the second ranked acc team and they're like at 16th or 17th well and this is something that's consistent so there was an article i had earlier this year that sort of asked if top 10 was good enough and it looked at conferences and basically winning percentage tailed off for the so the top team in the conference had a much higher winning percentage than the second and the third team. And then the second and the third team had a much higher winning percentage than the fourth, fifth, sixth, and seventh teams when it came to recruiting in each conference. So in the ACC, Florida State was traditionally first. Clemson was second. In the Big Ten, it was um, it was Ohio State first, Michigan second, and then he sort of had that next tier. Um, and so being in that top three, I know Bill said it quite a bit, is being in that top three is important just from the standpoint of being able to compete within your own conference. And uh, yeah, it's insane that you'd be fourth but and fifth now nationally. But um, again, if we go back and look at historically what's happened, you know, the average increase from coaches from year one to year two, when you look at Zook, Meyer, Muschamp, McElwain, and Mullen, or I'm sorry, Zook, Meyer, Muschamp, and McElwain, the average increase has been about seven spots. So um, so Mullen finished 14th last year. So I think a reasonable expectation based on history is he should be around seventh. And if he pulls in, um, if he pulls in Elam, Moore, and Richards, or um, if you switch out, I mean, really, Elam, Moore, Richards, and Bogle, if he pulls in three of those four, he probably hits that. So that would put him at 282.4 if he had Elam, Moore, and Richards, and that would put him at seventh historically. Um, and then if he just has Elam and Moore, then he's probably eighth. If he just gets Elam, he's ninth. And then if he doesn't get anybody, he stays right around 11th. Now, there are a couple of teams behind him. So Ohio State, um, and, and there's one more that's escaping me right now, but there's a couple of teams right behind him that only have 15 or 16 commits. And so if those teams have big finishes, then they could sort of 
blow past a bunch of different teams as well, just because of where they're at. But when you look at average national recruiting ranking, I mean, if they hit all four, that puts them up at 91.5. That's a major talent upgrade for Florida. It's not Alabama. It's not Georgia, but it is getting into that Texas A&M, LSU, um, you know, Auburn range. Um, and, and so really positions Florida very well for the future, particularly with the way the 2020 and 2021 classes have started, um, just having a much quicker start for those classes than they've had this year. And so um, if he can get that big finish this year, really sets him up to have a successful 2020 season and then be able to not necessarily have to race to the finish line, but basically have his class set high level top five class by the time early signing day comes around. Yeah, and you get to that point, maybe you're you're picking and choosing who you want to finish with, <laughs> you know, kind of like uh, like uh, Alabama's used to doing and, and Georgia's doing the, the last couple of years. And hey, look, you you get this talent in flux that we're we're talking about and and combo with with uh, Mullen's coaching uh, that we've seen, and uh, I think we can feel pretty good uh, about the future of Gator football. Talk about the future before we sign off here. Will Junior Day coming up this weekend and headlined by some big targets here. Uh, quarterback from Jacksonville, right down the road from me, Carson Beck plays at Mandarin. Will he plays like five minutes from my house? So if he if he's there's a lot of talk uh, if he flips uh, from Alabama that uh, Florida or Miami would be some destinations there. So if he flips to Florida, you could probably if Mandarin's having a home game, I'll, uh, uh, you'll you'll probably see me there uh, a whole a whole good bit. Uh, running back from Lakeland, Demarcus Bowman, big time target that the Gators are going after recently coming off a visit to Clemson in their junior day this past weekend uh, there. So we'll uh, visit Florida this coming up weekend. Cornerback uh, Finley Graham as well. And also commits cornerback Anthony Richardson, running back Kayvon Lee, wide receiver Leonard Manuel, wide receiver Jaquavion Frazier's, defensive end Josh Griffiths, defensive tackle Griffin Dexter, and safety Rashad Torrance. All those commits are going to be here with all these uncommitted top targets, top prospects uh, for the Gators. And uh, we'll – We'll see, you know, uh, we don't have to get too in-depth about these guys. We got almost a year uh, to, to preview these guys and what they'll bring to the table. But with the fast start that you're getting in 2020, you're bringing in some big-time targets uh, here for this junior day. And uh, maybe Mullen and the current commits coaching staff can make a big impression on these guys. Yeah, I think the important thing maybe to take note there is the – areas that you specified so the quarterback is from jacksonville demarcus bowman is from lakeland and so you know you always talk about and i think even mullins talked about drawing a circle around gainesville and making sure that they own those areas well this is the opportunity to do that right junior day allows you to bring in guys who are local allows you to establish those relationships allows you to make sure you lock down the areas that you have to lock down in order to be successful i mean you know it's great that chris Steele's coming from california but you shouldn't have to go out to california <laughs> <laughs> to get top 100 guys because they're sitting there in Lakeland and they're sitting there in Jacksonville and they're sitting there in Lake City and, and you know, in Tampa and, and even in Miami if you want to go down to South Florida. So, um, you know, they're in the state and <laughs> those guys need to go to Florida at, a, at an extremely high clip for Florida to be excellent. Um you know, long-term, the program is going to have to be built on, um, on state talent, on in-state talent. It's always been built on in-state talent. And so I think that's maybe the thing to look at as you look at that list and where are these guys from? 
And, you know, it, yeah. it really sort of, it really sort of makes me happy that the guys you're saying are the big time targets are coming from areas where that circle um, w- would really sit and where Florida needs to dominate and make sure that guys like Kirby Smart and Nick Saban and, and to a lesser extent, Jimbo Fisher can't come in and poach those guys. Cause that's what's happened over the last couple of years is that, you know, other schools, Clemson and, and Ohio state have come into Florida and rated it. So, you know, like a guy like Trevon Grimes, who obviously transferred to Florida, but decided to go decided to go to Ohio State straight out of school. That just can't happen. And so the, and I the believe fact me, I've seen it up close too. You know, these Trinity Christian kids right here in Jacksonville. Ohio State is is the school in, in right here in Jacksonville, Ohio State. You know, and uh yeah, that that's that is time for it to change, Will. Yeah, well, you know, I mean, and, and that's that's part of what Mullen's mission is, right? Is to make sure that those in-state guys decide that Florida is their dream school, not Ohio State, not Michigan, not not Clemson, not Alabama, and that, and that's not a one-year operation. That's oh. a that's a multi-year operation. And so, you know, again, we started off this entire podcast talking about continuity, and I think Mullen. Um, really sort of exudes the idea that he's going to be at Florida for a long time. I don't think anybody's worried that he's necessarily looking to move to the NFL. Um, and, and so, you know, people can be pretty pretty confident based on his first year, based on what he's accomplished in his career, that he's going to be at Florida as long as Florida will have him and, uh, and you know, that he's going to be there for a while. And so I do think that that plays a role. Like if I were deciding where to go for college and I was deciding who I wanted to play for the idea that I'm playing for a guy who just went 10 and three that has the relationship that he has with Strickland that has shown the kind of improvement that he's shown both at Mississippi state and Florida. You know, I look at that and say, Hey, I I'm going to get to play for that guy for four years. And so if I don't make it, it's my fault. <laughs> like it's not a matter of nine different coaching changes and all sorts of different things. It's my fault if I don't make it. And so, um, and you're you know, playing the SEC, where you, you know, you're playing, you're playing big time opponents. Those guys are coming in. You're on national. I mean, look, you're on national TV no matter where. But who 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 are you tuning into? Where you know where's the you know you're going to be tuned into when you play Alabama, when you play Georgia, when you play LSU, when you play Texas A&M, when you play Tennessee, Florida State and Miami. What two big games a year? If if that, look, I mean, so yeah, but that plays into it as well. Well, come on, man. I mean, Boston College is a tough opponent. <laughs> we, we we need to make sure that we give the rambling wreck at Georgia Tech full credit. I mean, first. FSU did beat Boston College. I mean, uh, <laughs> I mean, and got, you know, and got them all excited, and, and all got them all excited. They were going to beat Florida the, the next week. Hey, you know, we we hold on to little bits of hope when it's just slipping away. So yeah. uh, we'll we'll hope that continues to slip away for the Seminoles all all next year. But uh, I don't know. We kind of need Willie to be just good enough to where they don't can them after year two like they can't be that terrible because then they really you know i mean any of these programs you get the right coach in there and all of a sudden things take off i think we're kind of seeing that right now with florida um you know the the big question at florida has always been mullen's recruiting prowess and so that i think is where junior day becomes important that's where i think you know can he close with these four guys we talked about um for signing day that becomes important because i don't think anybody has any questions about his ability to to improve things on the field. I mean, we just watched it, right? We just watched him take the same team and make them loads better from one year to the next. And so there you go. There's another selling point too. I mean, I know you harped on that big time, Well, that's a good point. And I don't think we talked enough about it. Uh, And maybe if Carson Beck ends up flipping from Alabama to Florida, this could be a reason why, but I remember you saying in the preseason or actually it was right after Mullen was hired and we were talking about some of the good things that he could do and maybe some of the good things he could do in a recruiting trail. And it was, let's see if I can take Felipe Franks, this guy that Jim McElwain and Doug Nussmeyer couldn't do anything with. And that Felipe Franks is going to be 
a returning starter in the SEC, one who ended the season uh, with with some with some with some pretty good numbers, and one where there's not really a question now if he's going to be the starter at Florida. Yeah, I mean, I, I think there's a confluence of events. I mean, certainly the performance on the field makes a difference. The issues that are going on at Florida State and Miami make a difference. The um, the fact that not everybody can go to Georgia and Alabama <laughs> certainly <laughs> makes a difference. And, and then, um, you know, and, and then obviously I, I don't think that Mullen is necessarily a slouch on the trail either. I mean, I think, you know, probably – didn't get as big of a start as he wanted, but I, I think we can also look back and say, well, maybe he was concentrating on making sure that the team was 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 uh, more confident over the course of the season and, and really focusing on the performance on the field than maybe he was in the recruiting at the at the beginning stages because it certainly it certainly has picked up quite a bit over the last six months. And so, you know, that hasn't historically happened. I don't think you want to rely on outliers, but they can certainly happen. And so, if if Mullen closes and they end up with a top five class, hey, tip your hat to him. I mean, that's an outstanding job done because that's not something guys typically do you don't typically come roaring up from you know 30th or 32nd or whatever they were when the season started to fifth i mean usually at a program like florida you go from 30th when the season starts and the guys who sort of commit bring you up to you know 12th or 13th that's what's happened under McElwain. and so the, if he can really close it and he can get to fifth you, you tip your cap to him say that's a heck of a job and uh and the good news is, is you get a pat on the back and one day later we'll be asking about 2020 and 2021 <laughs> so because that's the way college football is right i mean it's it's yeah. it's recruit it's recruit or die and and it doesn't end just because you have a good class this year or, or don't have a good class this year i mean he's he's going to be here for the long term and so uh, that's going to be a consistent thing is that we're going to be looking at that constantly and and certainly all signs point towards the positive side and on the field he's been nothing short of great and so um again i you mentioned it and 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 Frank Frank's development becomes a really big selling point, especially if Frank shows the kind of improvement that uh, Matthew Stafford showed from year two to year three. And all of a sudden now Mullen has taken Felipe Franks from where he was two years ago to being essentially a first round pick in the NFL draft. I mean, that's something where you're like, all right, <laughs> like if I've got, if I've got some tools and I go to Florida, I'm going to be able to get that sort of thing. So it starts to sell itself at that point. And, th and that was always sort of the point of the, some of the discussions we had over the summer is that, um, you know, success on the field historically has not led to success on re the recruiting trail that specific year. Turns out he's actually turning it into success this year as well. But, you know, that 2020 and 2021 class, it's not a coincidence that those things have started quickly. I mean, the reason they've started quickly is people have looked at the program and said, this this one's heading up and we want to be a part of it. And, you know, people love jumping on. So um, I'm excited to see where this goes and really excited to see how he can finish for this signing day. But, uh, but it's not the end. I mean, I think sort of where he was in August last year versus where he's going to be in August next year when we look at these recruiting classes is, is really going to be night and day. And and it's going to be fun to watch. Yeah, it's pretty much the, the perfect storm uh, of things that had to happen uh, for this for this big finish, and uh, they're reaping the rewards. You know, you, we've mentioned the, the the bad seasons by FSU in Miami, uh, coaching turnover at at Georgia, coaching turnover at Alabama. Uh, they maybe may end up reaping the rewards here for a big big time finish uh, for the 2019 class, and uh, keep it going in 2020 and 2020. One. Well, um, that about do it for this episode. I know you just released your latest article on reading reaction. You guys can go check it out. Where Will has talked about a little, talked a little about it here. Uh, just really diving into the uh, 2019 class and the finish uh, those guys could have uh, in the next week and a half. Will, uh, what you got coming on the horizon there? 
Oh man, at some point we're going to be diving into some of the film of some of the guys who maybe are uh, are coming in. So Jalen Jones, I'm interested in taking a look at some of the stuff that he's done and he's put on film. I know people uh, people were interested in Emory Jones last year. I think Jalen Jones is probably going to be some interest there too. And and uh, really sort of, um, I'm thinking about doing some stuff with some video. So hopefully that'll be coming out in the next two or three weeks and we'll see whether people like that as well. Just sort of trying to explain maybe some of the concepts that we talk on here. I mean, you know, we talked about two gap and, 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 and one gap schemes and things like that. And it's not always entirely clear what those are. And so uh, at least not to everyone. And so trying to explain those sorts of things and maybe show people that is something that I'm working on doing. So we'll see, it might take me longer than a couple of weeks to get that up and running, <laughs> but I'm hopeful that uh, <laughs> I'm hopeful that, uh, that the job Job slows down a little bit and we're able to do that tomorrow will tomorrow <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I i have to like spend time with my kids this week dave so uh <laughs> so, so we'll uh we'll see what we can do yeah it's uh my daughter will be turning five on friday so i understand so to orlando we go uh this coming up weekend so oh man It'll so fun time. Did, you, did you get her tickets to the princess castle is she having dinner with the princesses? Uh, no, we did that a little after her birthday last year. She did the whole Disney princess thing. So uh, some American doll thing coming up this weekend. So she oh, okay. Yeah. Well, this is good. I look forward to seeing the pictures that you yeah, post there, on Twitter. There will be stuff. I'm sure. Can Kate, we put a video of you like combing the uh, the American doll hair <laughs> or something? That's great. I'm sure my wife will uh, take plenty of pictures and and post them out there. So. Uh, if not, I have a. If not, I usually do a pretty good job of embarrassing myself. So I'm sure I'll I'll put them out there too. Hey man, we enjoy seeing it. It's there's nothing better than uh, humor in a five year old girl. That's for sure. So <laughs> enjoy it. It doesn't last. Mine's ten, and it feels like she's thirteen or fourteen or fifteen sometimes. So enjoy yeah. it while she's five, man. It, it can it can slow down for sure. All right, well. Uh, Good to have you back this week. Uh, and everybody, you can check Will out at readandreaction.com, his site there, and on Twitter at WillMilesSEC. I'm the host of Gators Breakdown, David Waters, and you can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SEC. Guys and girls out there, thanks for listening to this episode of Gators Breakdown.